Hey, trivia fans! Looking for an exciting and unforgettable way to add some fun and friendly competition to your events or team-building sessions? Last Call Trivia has you covered. Our unique web-based app allows players to participate individually or as a team, making it easier than ever to bring people together, spark curiosity, create connections, and make lasting memories. Host your own trivia anytime with our new subscription and experience the best in interactive entertainment. Even remote attendees can play along. Check out lastcalltrivia.com forward slash shop for more information. Trivia Podcast. I'm your trivia host, James, and I'm so happy to have all of our listeners join in on our trivia team today. Our favorite part of Trivia Night is the discussion that the questions spark and the connections those conversations create. That's why our trivia players will be showing their work to our audience, talking through the thought process behind each of their answers as we play the game. Speaking of our trivia players, I'm joined on today's episode by the trivia team who our Instagram followers have named Quarterbacks Are Offensive. That'd be DJ, Kelly, and Omen. As usual, before we dive into the game, we're going to get started with a little mental warm-up where each of the players tell us something new they've learned this week. So let's get to that portion of our show and welcome in Omen, who's going to tell us something that he's learned this week. Hey, James. Near, far, wherever you are, I believe that the heart does go on. Mm. Celine Dion may have been talking about Emperor Pedro I of Brazil. So in the days when Brazil was a colony of Portugal, the king of Portugal came over to kind of take a look at what was going on, and he left his son, Pedro, in charge as regent of mm-hmm. Brazil. The king went back to Portugal to attend to affairs of state at home, and the son was like, you know what? Actually, I'm going to de- declare independence, not only from Portugal, <gasps> but from my own family. And he became wow. the first emperor of Brazil. Established independence, became a huge national folk hero, and really set that country on its trajectory. When he died, his body remained in Brazil, but his heart (gasps) was cut from his body, stuck in a jar of formaldehyde, and taken back to Portugal, where it has remained until now, the 200th anniversary of the independence of Brazil. His heart is being flown back to Brazil to be received as an official state object and it's going to be you know it has a a big schedule so the heart really does go on (laughs) what do you mean it has a big schedule like it's got its own schedule yeah i'm sure it's got a press schedule it's literally has it's go yeah it it is being treated as if pedro the first was alive and receiving visitors that's uh pretty dark and uh macabre and at the same time very very fascinating very very goal worthy (laughs) Yeah, yes, yes. All right, so um, I will give Kelly. She seemed pretty shocked about that, and I I think I'm going to give her some time. Oh, okay, we'll see. I I should have uh, interpreted that differently, (laughs) but I'll still let DJ uh, take it next in terms of things he's learned this week. Far be it for me to cast aspersion or judgment, but I do think that that story is a little bat bleep, and in keeping with that uh, sentiment, that's my 
interesting fact this week. I uh, I went down the bat rabbit hole. Don't spend too much time trying to picture that particular amalgam and learn something that uh, it seems totally rational and obvious when you think about it, but it was just something I never really cogitated, which is that female bats in general give birth upside down and catch the baby bat as it falls after wow. having birthed it. And the mental image of that, and there are videos online if one is so inclined to see this miracle of life happening in real time, but the mental image of that set me into such a fit of giggles that everyone around me when I discovered this thought I was literally bat bleep, and they may well be right. So let that image tickle you, amuse you, and hopefully uh, spread the kind of joy that it did to me this week. That's Wait, fantastic, do they catch DJ. Them, do they catch them in their wings or do they catch yes. them in their claws? They catch them in their wings, like oh, a like, like a, a blanket. Like a cradle. Yeah, and then it's just it's it's the cutest thing, and it's hilarious. That's very sweet. What a great way to come into the world, right? <laughs> it's not exactly a water birth, but you know, I'll take it. No, I was gonna say, uh, you know, it gives a whole new uh, definition to some of those other definitions of uh, live birth and all that kind of stuff. All right, so we go to Kelly. And uh, she's going to share with us something new she's learned this week. Okay, so I went to see the movie Fall. The premise is that two women decide to climb a 2,000-foot radio tower, and when they get to the top, the ladder falls out underneath of them, and scenes of intense peril ensue. At any rate, one of the plot points is these vultures that circle them at the top of the radio tower. And as I'm watching this, I think, well, that can't be right. This is clearly a flaw in the plot because there's no way that vultures would be 2,000 feet high. Right. So with great joy, I set about fact-checking this to call out lazy writers who didn't care about the facts in this movie. Well, (laughs) turns out, vultures actually hold the record for reaching the highest altitudes in the bird kingdom with a record of 37,000 feet. They have a special kind of blood that helps them intake more oxygen at those heights. So apparently hanging out on a radio tower at 2,000 feet would really be nothing for a vulture. Wow. That's like short work for them. That's wild. Exactly. (laughs) Fascinating. Well, look, when it comes to live births from bats and uh, vultures circling radio towers in ominous ways and and hearts being flown cross-country. This is definitely a uh, thematic, uh, you know, flying. factoid this flying week. Flying yeah. is our theme. There's a, lot, there's a lot of flying going on. So, all right, look, in today's podcast, we'll be challenging the Last Call Trivia team you just heard from with questions that previously appeared in Last Call Trivia shows in bars and restaurants around the country. Our podcast show has two rounds of trivia, three questions per round. There's also a bonus question in between the two rounds and then a final question that closes things out. Before we dive in, a quick reminder to our listening audience. Should you enjoy today's show, do us a favor, leave us a five-star rating on your streaming service of choice if it allows for listener reviews. And if you'd like to learn more about all of Last Call Trivia's products and services, visit lastcalltrivia.com for more ways to get your trivia fixed. You can also reach out to us on our various social media channels and let us know how much you enjoy the podcast. We'll start off with round number one. I'll read each question aloud for DJ Kelly and Omen, and then they have three minutes to discuss and decide on an answer. They also need to give me their point wager amount. The point wager options in round one are one, three, or six. The team can use that uh, wager in any order, you know, six on the first question, three on the second one, whatever, but they can only use each wager amount once per round. The idea being, if you're really confident in an answer, maybe you put that six on that one. 
The categories for round number one are children's books, military, and movies. Hmm. Here's the children's books question. At the far end of town, where the grickle grass grows, and wind smells slow and sour when it blows. That's the opening line of what Dr. Seuss book? Oh, I believe, I believe I know this one, and if I'm correct, it was actually one of my favorites. It's, it's, a, it's a darker and scarier one, in my opinion, than most of his other stories. It sounds I know it. there were dark and scary ones. Yes. Well, it's not Redfish Bluefish, is it? It is not. It's, it's, <laughs> it's setting the scene with some grickle grass. It was reminding me. I thought it was uh, almost like a Lewis Carroll kind of the Jabberwocky. Yeah, it sounds. That's what very, I was thinking. Yeah. Just at the first, like even though it's the not. Into the looking glass, into like the upside down world of whatever. Okay, can can you give us a hint, DJ? Um, <laughs> Apparently, no. <laughs> if if I'm recalling correctly, the central character in this Dr. Seuss story is a disembodied pair of pants. James, can you reread it? Can you give us that beautiful recitation? I'd be happy to. Children's books. At the far end of town, where the grickle grass grows, and wind smells slow and sour when it blows. That's the opening line of what Dr. Seuss book. Uh, You know, I I know that I've read it because I'm recalling that phrase, but I just, I don't think I'm familiar uh, with it enough for the title. Is it some sort of like a haunted house experience it's, is it like it's not a haunted house so my recollection is it's it's basically this disembodied pair of pants that were green it was a, a, a I, I distinctly remember them being great green they were on the hunt or searching for something and i can't remember their, what, their what they were looking for might have been but the the pants wandered around and you know you know the dr Seussian illustration style right so imagining yes. a disembodied pair of pants and, sure. and you know there's lots of dark imagery like just, just the color color scheme is dark and I always found it to be kind of creepy and and weird in, in terms of the pantheon of Dr. Seuss. Yeah, I've got nothing. DJ, what is it? What's the title of this I can't. I, I'm So I'm racking my brain because oh, I can't remember the title. I, I, <laughs> I know the book. I just can't. all of these things about it, but not the title. Right. Well, I... Okay. Uh, let's just make up some Dr. Seuss sounding titles that have incorporated sure. these elements. The Pants, Pants. of Pain. But, well... <laughs> One leg, two leg, three legs, four legs. Um, Some things are scary. Last call. <laughs> These are all really good. I, I'm sorry, I can't pull it out of the ether. I, Green I, pants I, and death. I got nothing. Any of those could work, but... but the uh, mysterious pants... Whoa, Omen has something. Is it, like the, is it like the house where no one goes, or like something like that? Sure. That sounds great. You know I'm why no one, one goes there? Because one, there's an one, empty pair of pants. One in, incorrect pair of pants on the house where no one goes. Yeah, this one is point. <laughs> This sounds like the Dr. Seuss Tom Waits crossover. Children's books. At the far end of town, where the grickle grass grows and wind smells slow and sour when it blows, is the opening line of what Dr. Seuss book? You guys say the house where no one goes. For one point, the answer: the Lorax. Oh, it's the no. Lorax. Oh. Right. The Lorax. Of what? course, of course, Why? of course, of course. The grickle grass and the wind smells uh, slow and sour because of the pollution. Uh, the grickle grass has grown oh. up. It's like a nasty grass because all the trees are down. Wow, we went James, way James, off can you, here. Can you investigate for us for the for the show wrap-up what the, the story is that I was thinking of with the pants? 
Sure. I think, you were, I think you were thinking of that dream you had when you had too many jalapenos. No, I'm telling you, it's it's a it's a, it's a legitimate <laughs> Dr. Sure, DJ, creamy. sure. <laughs> uh, one interesting little fact to mention about the Lorax is that a line has actually since been removed from the original version of the book, which referenced how bad Lake Erie was. Uh, some, <laughs> some local research associates kind of like reached out and said, look, it's not that bad anymore. We've put a lot in, of efforts into making it nicer. You know, can we drop that one? And they did. They did. So there's a film version of that that's out there that obviously still has that line in there. You know, poor Lake Erie. But I mean, you can't change history. So it's um, tough. It's tough. Pollution you can clean up, but a reputation is solid forever. <laughs> Very true, Omen. That takes us to the military question. Team who was posthumously promoted to the full grade of General of the Armies of the United States, effective July 4th, 1976? Well, I have a guess about this. Uh, <laughs> oh, when you look pained. I just, uh, I am. So, uh, okay. Yeah, Kelly, I mean, what, what are your thoughts? Okay, so it's a special title. It's not just a, a regular old general or this or that it's it's the general of the armies of the united states so i think that it is an honor that especially given the date july 4th Mm -hmm. was posthumously bestowed upon george washington who holds i think historically some kind of like like there can be no one higher than him in history in terms of military ranking 1976 was the bicentennial. Bicentennial, yeah. 1776. So that makes a lot of sense, Kelly. I love that. I was I was going to guess that it was a, a former president, a dead president. Well, we in fact, you would be correct if you guessed that, which is the specific one, I think. Uh, it makes a lot of sense to me for a number of reasons that it's George Washington. That's why in the George Washington Museum, where they have his heart in a jar, it actually has <laughs> a live cannon next to it that he can detonate at any time if he wants. It's got a whole schedule and everything. That's. <laughs> I think we should go with George Washington. Um, what's the final category, James? Uh, the the final category is movies. Whew. I ha- Kelly, do you feel super confident? Should we put six wooden teeth on this? I think we should I... put six six stars uh, as a six yeah. star general. general sure. <laughs> the general of the armies might, Let's might do it. have. Okay. So military, who was posthumously promoted to the full grade of General of the Armies of the United States, effective July 4th, 1976? For six points, you guys say George Washington. The answer, George Washington. Yes! Yes. We crossed that Potomac. You did. Uh, Okay, we crossed the Delaware. Yeah. And and (laughs) fun... Fun fact about George Washington is that he was, in fact, the inspiration for the Wunzler in the Lorax story. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I, I was just I trying like to the, tie it back. I feel like the theme of the day is stuff we made up. <laughs> just totally making just making up factoids. Well, I can tell you this much in terms of a factoid I'm pretty sure is not made up. General of the Armies of the United States has only been conferred twice. George Washington posthumously and General John Pershing during World War One, while he was still alive and holding that command. So wow. um, that is, in fact, the highest command other than, I guess, you know, commander in chief for the president that can be conferred when it comes to the militaries. That takes us from military to movies. What 1941 movie was the inspiration for two different rides at Disneyland, including the circus train Casey Jr.? Oh, this is fun. 
including the circus so, train Casey so Jr. Can, can you think? Can you think of a Disney animated out? movie yeah, with a with a train that's? Oh sure. Central. Yes. And there's, there's even a song. There's even a song where I'm pretty sure this name is mentioned. I've got two different guesses, and are I think you, at least one of them is wrong. Are you talking about the? Is it the Grateful Dead song, Casey Jones? Is that what you're talking about? No, no. Oh, okay. It's from, from a Disney movie. <laughs> oh, yes, of course. Well, there's a lot of songs about Casey Jones. Uh, I, I'm not right. sure about the Disney one, but I believe this is either a super well-beloved film or a film which has been banned from anyone being able to watch it. It's not the banned one. It's okay. definitely the super well-beloved. That narrows it down. Yeah, so um, the train in this movie is actually kind of part of the, the central story because the main character's parent is on uh-huh. a train. Uh-huh. And there's there's several sequences that, that take place on this train. Yeah. It yeah. sounds like it, perhaps it's circus-related. It is very much circus-related. And, and the yeah. ride which it inspired is probably one of the most iconic at, at Disneyland. You see it in all the pictures because it goes back so far. It's, it's, sure. it's a very well established uh there's there's one that has a, a flying component to it yes yes kelly do you have See, a guess here i was gonna say flying is our theme didn't we have a question about this recently with the little character who gave yes. him the feather so, yeah. yes we um, did i mean I, I i think i'm gonna steer away from my initial guess of casablanca and go to <laughs> well you know 19, he said a 1941 movie i'm like hey that would inspire a lot of things uh but it might it might probably be not at disney Dumbo. kelly Probably well, I mean, not a Disney. We hadn't, we hadn't gotten to part of the question yet. Like I'm like trying to to think ahead. Uh, is it is it Dumbo? It is pretty sure it Dumbo. is. Yeah. Now, the Dumbo it's, it's, ride is really fun, and and the Dumbo ride that Dumbo ride format has been recreated in in a number yes. of different themes. But it's a great format for a ride. You can control how high you go. To my recollection, the train being called Casey Jr. is in fact a reference to Casey Jones, which was a famous, uh, Disney did a famous musical short about Casey Jones um, and and his train antics. But that's a story for another day. I think we should put three magic feathers on Dumbo. I agree. Okay. So the category movies. What 1941 movie was the inspiration for two different rides at Disneyland, including the circus train Casey Jr.? For three points, you guys say Dumbo. The answer, Dumbo. Yay. <laughs> horse sound. Supposed, oh, I thought that was supposed to be an elephant. That was supposed to be an elephant. And then it just what, morphed in the middle into a horse? Yeah, sorry okay. about that. It was a horse okay. of a different color. Oh. That, that being a bonus uh, in its own right with the, with the sounds and the jokes and all that, that takes it to our bonus question. And the rules are a little bit different. Here's how we do that. The answer to the bonus question will be in the form of a number. The players may not know the exact answer, that's okay. The idea is to give your best guess and you can still get a point because at live Last Call Trivia shows, the top 50% of teams that were the closest to the exact answer win one bonus point. Our trivia team, not playing against anyone else, got a predetermined range from the writing team that they have to hit. I'm looking at it right now. And that's uh, where their answer must fall for them to get that bonus question. Here it is. When Disneyland opened in 1955, Tomorrowland was designed to look like which year in the future? Mm. <laughs> oh. Three minutes on the clock. I, I think Omen has a 
an unfair advantage on this question. You've got I, a special connection to Disney. I have a special connection to Disney, but I, I don't know the answer to this, but I love the question because I find the whole concept of Tomorrowland so fascinating. Um, uh-huh. I have a couple of guide uh, guide points, I think, that could be informational, but okay. I'm, curious, I'm curious to hear what y'all think first. Well, my first guess was, you know, everybody back in the day thought that like the year 2000 is so far away and this and that and whatever and you know then as it's approaching it becomes less and less like we're going to be flying in crystal spheres or whatever but I feel as though more like um, dying in crystal meth well they maybe they had a, a display about that in Tomorrowland and it would have proven accurate but I feel as though I remember reading something online where the date of Tomorrowland had, has already passed in terms of like our, our human history. And they did kind of like, oh, what came true and what didn't come true. So oh, I'm going to put it before the year 2022, because I believe someone analyzed like how accurate some of the predictions were versus, you know, not or whatever. So I, I think it's before now. Cool. You know, tangentially, the popular mechanics would frequently, around the turn of the, the 20th century, do these uh, these big spreads where they would, you know, predict what what the future was going to be like in various future years. And one of them uh, was actually pretty remarkably spot on for around the year 2000. Like the digital computer, and there, there were a number of predictions that they made that that weren't terribly far off. The form factor certainly was different, but they they weren't bad. So all that to say that I have read a lot about these kinds of, oh, this is what they predicted, and this is where we actually are. And Tomorrowland sticks in my mind at the, around the year 2000 for, for that same reason, Kelly. So I, I would definitely go with the year 2000. I think that sounds good. I was, I have nothing. I, um, <laughs> I know that some of the stuff in Tomorrowland was inspired by, by Jules Verne, and the kind of mm. fun thing with all the Jules Verne novels is that they're not ever set in the future. They're set in the, in in, the past. Right. Well, they're set in his present. They're set, in, yeah. they're set contemporarily with their writing. Oh, I yep. thought they were more the concept of steampunk, like the, the, the future in a past that never existed. So. No, he wrote them, you know, he wrote them. Well, that's in, cool. He, uh, all set in his own time. Anyway, I think that two, the year 2000 is a great guess. Even if it's off, it probably is close. All right. James, we're going with the year 2000. Okay. When Disneyland opened in 1955, Tomorrowland was designed to look like which year in the future? You guys say 2000. The answer, 1986. What? <laughs> the range we were looking for, 1976 to 1996. Oh, what? so close. What? That's, that's so funny. That's so, not so far in the future. That's that's So it was set so it was set 1955 yeah. to 1986. 31 years. Is, so 31 years in the That's a future. bizarre that's a bizarre choice too. It's not a round number. It's not Well, strange. you know what though that fits in so much with the whole concept of what um Mr. Walt Disney was trying to do with the parks, especially with Tomorrowland, he really wanted to inspire an attainable, a, 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 a far-off but attainable future. You know, if you say from from now, uh, the year 2053 is 30 years, 31 years away, that sounds forever. Well, it's the Back to the Future thing, right? And in, in from 1955 to 1985 to 2015, you look at how they dealt with what the technology was and what they expected and, and all that. Totally. And we today it looks quaint. Back to the Future. Because if we'd gone off that movie, we would have guessed 1985, and we would have been right. <laughs> oh, no, well. It, 
it's all relative when you think about it, the passage of time and what's future and what's past and how far away things really are. But we know one thing's for sure, round two is here. And the questions <laughs> in the second round will be themed to a specific topic. Today's theme, common bonds. See, you've heard us use that term before when kind of linking questions together, but everything we're doing here today in round number two is about common bonds. And the point wager options have updated. You guys can play with either two, five, or seven points on the next three questions. Just like the first round, the team can only use each wager amount once per round. Given the unique crossover nature of today's theme, like I said, the categories for all these questions in round number two will just be common bonds. So here we go with question number one of round number two. What luxury refrigerator band brand, excuse me, shares a name with the only Mortal Kombat playable fighter to appear in every main installment of the series? Say that again. Oh. The luxury refrigerator brand shares a name with the only Mortal Kombat playable fighter that appeared in every main installment of the series. Okay, this is fascinating. Because while I have a very limited knowledge of refrigerator brands, let alone I knew luxury this is where ones, this was gonna go. <laughs> I the video game topic falls into the very brief period of time that I really actively played video games as a kid. So I think I've got a pretty good guess of this. Well, the only Mortal Kombat character I can name is is the one that I used to play, and that was Sonia. And I don't think there's a refrigerator brand named Sonia. She was great. And I very know, that's why powerful. I played her. DJ, who did you play as when you played Mortal Kombat? Uh, I was a Scorpion guy because he had some of the easiest combos in the game. The Mortal Kombat series was never my favorite. I was a Street Fighter kid, and so I, I really only got into Scorpion. I, I did play Raiden a little bit too, but uh, but Scorpion was my main. What's well, funny, I think Scorpion has been the character mm -hmm. that, has, that has kind of been the focus of the games in more recent years. Right. Uh, the, in the reboots of, of Mortal Kombat, he's like kind of the main focus. But I think that what we're talking about is a character who has some similar moves to Scorpion, Sub-Zero, who oh. in the early games could freeze his opponent and then hit them with some sort of a whippy chain and shatter them into pieces. Well, for what it's worth, I can confirm that that is in fact a refrigerator brand, so. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> it is. Well, in, wow. in Sub-Zero's, uh, he actually had a spin-off adventure on the Nintendo 64 uh, mm. that was more like a plat like an action platformer. So he had a similar moveset to the fighting games, but it was like a side-scrolling, you know, in that, in that Mortal Kombat style. And it was supposed to be the first of many, and it did so poorly that, it, uh, that Midway dropped the, the series after that. So Sub-Zero was the only one to get one. It could also be the other Mortal Kombat character, Frigidaire. <laughs> uh, no, it's, it's the lesser known, lesser known character, Whirlpool. <laughs> right. Yes, yes. His, his special move was that he used a little bit less energy than his competitors. <laughs> so, Kelly, since you have the, the refrigerator side of things, and, and I feel like DJ and I have the character side of things, I think we should go seven knockouts for Sub-Zero. Uh, they are fatalities in the Mortal Kombat I'm sorry. Series. Thank you very much. I think we should go seven fatalities on Sub-Zero. Agreed. Okay, it, se it seems when you guys, uh, when it comes to this question, you're ready to say, finish him. So <laughs> what luxury refrigerator brand shares a name with the only Mortal Kombat playable fighter to appear in every main installment of the series? For seven points, you guys say Sub-Zero. The answer, 
Sub-Zero. Yes. Finish him! And uh, all our... Oh, that was louder than the horse. That, th- yeah, that was actually uh, preferable to the other sound effect. All our wine drinkers might be interested in this one. Sub-Zero has a wine refrigeration system that can be integrated to a security system. So people with highly valuable wine collections kind of have that two-for-one, just like they had a Sub-Zero maybe standing by, ready to, to protect. Uh, takes us to the next question. Again, common bonds being the theme with this whole round. Also the name of a spaceship in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy franchise. What three-word idiom describes a person who has a kind and generous disposition? Wow. I have, okay, hold on. I have literally never seen the two of you so excited in the entire year that we've been doing this. Kelly. For, for people at home, DJ is doing the meerkat dance. Omen's mouth is, and now James is doing the meerkat dance. Like, okay, we've, <laughs> like, we've lost it. Omen's mouth <laughs> opens to, like... Okay. The size of Brazil. I, you got, I, I, go for it, please. It, it, when you get a question that lets you quote Douglas Adams in an appropriate context, that that is cause for celebration. Inappropriate that, context where you yes, throw it the, out. Yes, the number of times that I quote Douglas Adams as a complete and utter non sequitur. If I had a dollar for every time, this trivia show would be recorded in front of a live studio audience with gilded microphones. <laughs> You'd so have as much I money as Zephod Beeblebrox. That's right. <laughs> um, I think that the I think what we're discovering in this moment, which is so exciting, is that Douglas Adams had a profound effect on all of us, if not most of us. Not Kelly. <laughs> okay, okay. Quick, yes, very good. Quick. That's my, uh, that's my input here. <laughs> when I was a child, a teenager, I listened to cassette tapes to go to sleep, and my favorite set was the original BBC broadcast recordings of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy actually started as a radio show and as a groundbreaking radio show. Yep. The books were written after that. Um, yep. And it was it was a huge step forward in the in the way that radio dramas were recorded, conceived, directed, performed, sound designed. It was huge. And it was a BBC TV series as well. Um, it was, that, yes. That was recorded. So there's a, there's a lot of angst um, in certain circle, circles of the fandom because every time uh, every time the story is done in a different medium, it changes. There's some significant elements that remain the same, but lots of details change. And Douglas Adams himself, you know, pointed out, in fact, in the books, um, subtly, but directly in things that he said to his fans, that's on purpose because every different medium has different needs and, and different totally. contexts. So the books are not the uber all kind of like true source any more so than the original radio play is. They're each their own thing and they have some common threads. By the way, if you've never read the book Starship Titanic, which is uh, that, that the starship itself was referenced in Hitchhiker's Guide, but it became its actual own separate book. Um, written by a good friend of Douglas Adams in the same style, you should absolutely read it because it's hysterical. And if you've ever hungered cool. for more Hitchhiker's Guide style, um, Starship Titanic is amazing. Thank um, you, James. The Sorry, I just heard the last call call. The last, last call call. Um, going back to the name of the ship in question, I believe it is the Heart of Gold. It is the Heart of Gold. The most infamous ship in all the galaxy, stolen by the president of the galaxy, Zephod Beeblebrox. Yes. And, and that also describes somebody who has a kind and caring heart. Yes. Kelly has and a heart of gold. should we go with five? Should we put the five down on this one? Let's put five. Galactic. Highly improbable actions on heart of gold. 
five pan-galactic gargle blasters on Heart of Gold. <laughs> All right. We're, this question is never going to end. Common Bonds, also the name of a spaceship and the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy franchise. What three-word idiom describes a person who has a kind and generous disposition? You guys say Heart of Gold. The answer... Heart of Gold. Yes. Yes. Okay. The rest of this podcast is just going to be talking about the works of Douglas Adams. It could be an <laughs> really entire podcast bet five in bowls itself. Of petunias, if we were yeah. being true. Yeah. Hey, yeah. James, is there a last question in this round? You know, there is, <laughs> Kelly, and I appreciate that. Very much so. I, I really do. And by the way, the phrase Heart of Gold dates back to at least the 1500s. Uh, it was quoted in Shakespeare's like Henry V. Shakespeare. Yeah. yeah. Uh, as the king disgu- disguised himself as a commoner, I believe he uh, said to someone, oh, you have a heart of gold, or someone said that to him maybe or something. So anyway, that takes us to the final question in this round. What word for a small settlement that is generally smaller than a village is also the name of a famous play that inspired the Lion King? There are just so many ways that we can know this question. It's almost <laughs> embarrassing. Yes, and can I just reiterate, I think we talked about this maybe maybe once before, but The Lion King was not just inspired by this play. It was also an almost shot-for-shot ripoff of a previous yes. animated work, Kimba, oh, the White Kimba, Lion. Kimba, right, 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 yes. But on the face of it, Kelly, you're, you're no doubt familiar with the, the play that nominally The Lion King was based on, yes? Uh, am I? Are you not? Are you uh, not? Uh, I, I've, no, I've never seen The Lion King. Do you, do okay, you not let me tell you about the and arrows of Outrageous Fortune? Apparently I don't. There's a king who's murdered by his brother, and his son, the son of the murdered king, has to deal with the emotional ramifications of what to do about it. And guided political. At, and political. Guided it sometimes by the ghost of his own father, but more often by his own tortured conscience or the songs well, of Elton it John. It sounds like you're talking about, like, Hamlet. And yes. what's a small? What's a name for a small for a town, a settlement that's smaller oh, than a village? Oh, I thought okay. So I, I I had no idea that this was what the Lion King was about. All okay. I can picture is the Circle of Life song and other things that are just yeah, saccharine. That's, that's not in Hamlet. One of my well. favorite. It's uh, it's almost the opposite in Hamlet. One of my favorite um, exchanges is between Hamlet and Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, where Hamlet says, "What are you doing?" in this prison and they say but my lord we are in we're in Denmark and he says Denmark is a prison and they say well then the world is the world is one and he says yes one with many chambers dungeons and passageways of which Denmark is the worst so um (laughs) one of my favorite favorite works of all time is Rosencrantz and Guildenstern Guildenstern are dead dead. I was just gonna say that (laughs) and um you know absolutely amazing play within a play I've had I had the pleasure of playing in in the show at at one time and it's just it's an absolute delight the the game of questions is something that my friend my theater friend group uh we we would do that just at the drop of a at the drop of a hat for no reason that surprises me the very least. James, <laughs> I believe that we should put how many points do we have left? I two, believe that yeah. we should two. put two. I think we should put two monologues of inaction on Hamlet. Okay. So again, within common bonds, what word for a small settlement that is generally smaller than a village is also the name of a famous play that inspired the Lion King? You guys say for those two remaining points, Hamlet. The answer, Hamlet. Yes. I would also have accepted the question phrased as the most important work in the English language. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, I will tell you this as well. Around six years prior to its release, its creators, Lion King I'm talking about, saw it more as like a Bambi, but in the jungle. It kind of shifted to a more original story, and they decided to anchor it, so to speak, to Hamlet. Of course, as uh, DJ mentioned, there is controversy surrounding Kimba the White Lion, which is a Japanese anime from the 1960s. Also, the name uh, Hamlet is partially derived from uh, uh, the name Hamet, which was the name of uh, Shakespeare's, one of Shakespeare's sons who died at a very young age. So Hamlet, Ooh. the name Hamlet is also s- somewhat a tribute to his, uh, oh, his deceased child. I didn't know child. that Shakespeare had any sons. He did. Uh, apparently one. At least, apparently right? at least one. Yeah, I know he had, he had several offspring. That takes us to our final question of the game. It is a multi-part question, and it's also the only question today that our team can actually lose points on. See, it's not just the opportunity to gain points here, but also some risk-reward. The trivia team can decide to wager either five points or zero points, no risk there, on this final question, but they have to get every portion of it right in order to earn points. If they miss any portion of the final, they lose what they wagered. Since it's a multi-part question, I'll give them five minutes to decide on their answer. Before we get into the final question, I'll give an update on where the team's score currently stands, and that'll give them an idea as to whether or not they might want to wager those five points. Right now, the team has 23 points out of a total maximum score of 30, and as a reminder, we're now dividing our episodes into parliaments of 10 games The team's goal is to finish each parliament with the best possible average score. Through the first two episodes of this parliament, the team has an average score of 29. Here's the question. Television being the category, identify whether each spinoff reality show is real or fake. (laughs) (laughs) I love this already. Here's number one. Marriage Rescue from Bar Rescue. Number two, The Masked Dancer from The Masked Singer. Number three, Extreme Makeover Car Edition from Extreme Makeover. Number four, Top Chef Tapas Style from Top Chef. Number five, Cajun Pawn Stars from Pawn Stars. Again, I'll give the team five minutes on this one. They have to decide whether or not they want to wager. They have to decide as well what their answer will be. We've got Marriage Rescue from Bar Rescue, The Masked Dancer from The Masked Singer, Extreme Makeover Car Edition from Extreme Makeover, Top Chef Tapas Style from Top Chef, and then Cajun Pawn Stars from Pawn Stars. I've always considered it a character flaw of mine that I love bad reality television. This is shocking to me. I know wow. it's very okay. out of. I would have pictured that you would you would have steered clear of this genre entirely, just out of disgust. But Kelly, I suppose there's a no is it one like watching a train wreck. No one is completely without vices. This is true, and now we know. Well, at least the fifteenth of yours. <laughs> um, so. Okay, this is this is a shocking revelation, but um, I'm going to be honest. I'm familiar with two of the titles. I'm familiar with a couple of them, and I have some strong suspicions about Ooh. a couple of them. Uh, okay. DJ, how are you? Wh- what level of confidence mm-hmm. do you have about this list? 
Kelly's assumption about you, Omen, is accurate for me. I detest. I often get the two of you confused. You know? Reality so TV. Similar. Oh yes, naturally. <laughs> so naturally. many ways. As one, as one does. Um, I, I detest reality TV, so all of these sound fake to me, and the ones that aren't fake, I really wish that they were. they're not, well, sadly, to yeah. report. I wish Either way, I, even I wish, the real ones are fake. I wish that humanity, that this was not something humanity did. I'll put it that Ugh. way. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll, give you a, I'll give you a confession. Um, well, you already know that I watch American Idol. That is not a surprise. We just must accept it. The other reality show that I really, really enjoy, which shouldn't come as a surprise since you know me pretty well, is Alone, which is the History Channel show where they essentially send people off into the wilderness by themselves to see how long can they survive, relying entirely on themselves to build a shelter, find their food, et cetera, et cetera, and under harsh conditions, many of which are, mm. are mental. And if it weren't for the fact that you have to hunt in order to survive, I would go on that show in, in a heartbeat. Um, so I am a little obsessed with that, but outside of that, I would I would not watch any of the things mentioned here. But why don't, why don't we start with the ones that we're sure about? Yeah. Because um, I have a little game theory here about that, that I think mm. it makes sense to start with the ones we know. Which ones so do you know, Kelly? I am pretty confident that Masked Dancer is in fact a spinoff of Masked Singer, Correct. Um, because I remember thinking to myself, do people actually know like dance moves or style enough that they could recognize someone in costume who was who was doing choreography? <laughs> like that just seemed ridiculous to me. But I'm I'm very confident that that's real for better or worse. It and is then real. The other one is um, I'm pretty sure that Extreme Makeover Car Edition is real. I mean, I I could have it confused with another title that is very similar um there are plenty of kind of automotive uh makeover shows but i if you have a sense yeah, that that like one is real I, ride or I was thinking but of that one that, but i'm pretty that, it's it sounds real to me i tr i trust your judgment on that one that one i was unsure of the other one that i'm fairly certain is real is cajun pawn stars um okay. it's just you know simply a spin-off of pawn stars but set in louisiana there have been successes okay. with other uh louisiana-based reality shows Swamp People, oh, one of Ooh. my very favorites. Yeah, but, I'm, I'm, I'm very afraid of alligators. I can't, I can't do Swamp People. And then the, the two that I think are not real are Top Chef Tapas because it simply doesn't make any sense. Yes, how could you have an entire show based around that? Right, Tapas premise? would be, you know, one it episode. Would be a, it would be a five-minute show. It'd be a five-minute um, show, but but you'd have to share it with your friends. And then I'm pretty sure that Marriage Rescue. From Bar Rescue is not is not it not and real. Let's be clear. I don't even know what Bar Rescue is. But my, well, Bar my, Bar yeah. Rescue is the sort of thing where it's you know I I'm not familiar with that show specifically, but it's like you know uh, Kitchen Nightmares where somebody comes in, some expert of the industry comes in and turns bar around this this bar. But it doesn't th that doesn't bar make sense okay. for marriage. Okay, so um, I am happy to go with the three that are real, being Mass Dancer, Extreme Makeover Car Edition, and Cajun Pawn Stars. The question is, uh, DJ, up to you if we bet the five points. 
We're betting the five points because if we're, if we're wrong, I feel the two of you deserve it. So um, this is... <laughs> For having watched any of this yes, nonsense, yes, we deserve yes, because, the Because you, you, you indulge in this in this detestable pastime. So, DJ, um, a man with no vices is like a ship with no ballast. There's nothing to throw overboard when the storm hits. Oh, I have, I have, plenty, of, I have plenty of vices. I'm just, this is me being snooty and superior. So, you know, deal with it. So, James, I think we're going to go with five (laughs) points, five non-scripted scripts on Marriage Rescue from Bar Rescue. No. False. Masked Dancer from Masked Singer. Yes. Extreme Makeover Car Edition. Yes. Top Chef Tapas. No. And I'm offended that that was even a suggestion. And Cajun Pawn Stars. A big yes. Okay. All right. So, I have your answers... And you are wagering the five points. We are indeed. So let's go through it here. Um, I, first of all, you guys laughed at the writing team. You said Top Chef Tapas style from Top Chef. Come on, please. Uh, get that out of here. You guys said that's fake. That is correct. That is fake. Um, not a real reality <laughs> I, I was worried there with the way you set it up that, that was <laughs> you were going to say it was you, real. No, you guys were like, come on, please. Um, then Cajun Pawn Stars... <clears throat> That one, you know, again, sounds pretty crazy. Cajun Pawn Stars from just Pawn Stars. You guys say that's real. It is. It is real. That's absolutely right. And then the Masked Dancer, I thought that was funny. You said, oh, how could you know, you know, dance steps or whatever, uh, from the Masked Singer saying that's real, the Masked Dancer. That is correct. The Masked Dancer from the Masked Singer, that's right. So, so far, so good. You guys have three up, three down. Next up. Let's go with Extreme Makeover Car Edition from Extreme Makeover. You guys say that's a real reality show. It's not. <gasps> that's what? fake. Extreme Makeover Car Edition was never a thing. Um, and don't feel too bad about that one because Marriage Rescue from Bar Rescue, you guys said that was uh, fake. Actually, no, it's real. Whoa! Marriage Rescue wow. from Bar Rescue okay, is least, a real At thing. least we got two wrong and not just the one wrong. <clears throat> that I, that was I have to look this up. I swear in my head I would have put money or five points on Extreme Makeover Car Edition. I think there are like a lot of similar words. There are a lot of similar Concepts. shows, but, but yeah. not that one specifically. Oh. Well, you my, did put five points DJ, on it. DJ, are, are you vindicated? That, I that feel such... A profound sense of vindication right now. I, if I could package this moment and sell it, I'd be a gajillionaire. Yeah, my, my smug superiority at this point in time knows absolutely no bounds. I just got my TV <laughs> privileges revoked. <laughs> well, look, you can't get every question right. You do have to risk it. Uh, risk it, no biscuit, as they say. But our team quarterbacks are offensive. Had a final score today of 18 out of a total possible 30 points. Thank you so much to all of our listeners for tuning in for the show. If you enjoyed it, and how could you not, please be sure to like, subscribe, and share today's episode. And if you're looking for more trivia fun, head over to lastcalltrivia.com. That's where you'll find our live shows, private events, trivia card game, and more. We'll be back next week for another episode of the Last Call Trivia Podcast with Quarterbacks or Offensive. Until then, stay curious.
little something to say about reality television. Yeah, that was okay. great. I loved the smug, smug vindication. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Without getting into the details of how I know this, I can't reveal my source. That's a good way to say it. But I have absolute 100% firsthand, firsthand experience here. I am very wary of reality television because of how many things are presented as being true or in the moment or whatever. Like, you know, you're just getting a peek at someone's life and they're really so either outright scripted or guided by the producers to the extent that they may as well be scripted. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. And it's in ways that you might not be able to imagine. Like maybe, for example, just if I had to think of an example off the top of my head, maybe, you know, they're they're editing it in in such a way to present a story or this or that in, in a way that might be skewed. But let's say people are in a relationship and one of the questions is, okay, say how, you, how you're feeling about your girlfriend right now. And the person is like, how am I supposed to feel about her? Can you just tell me what I'm supposed to say? And, you know, finding out, like, the whole relationship has been concocted. It doesn't mm-hmm. even exist, let alone are there real feelings. And the subject has to be told by the producers how they are supposed to feel about this person on the show. You know, I wish that there was a producer in my life who could tell me how I'm supposed to feel about any given subject. That would be such a weight off my shoulders. I serve that role. Roman, I've been trying to do that for literally the entire time we've known each other. (laughs) And you just keep resisting me. I can't understand why. I'm going to have both of you on speed dial now. When I go to dinner, I'll be like, They'll be like, oh, how did you like your meal? And I'm like, you know what? Let me check. I'm not really sure. It'll be especially entertaining when we give you conflicting advice. You know, Kelly's like, oh, you should you should have really yeah. enjoyed that. I'll be like, you should yeah. feel like that was the worst meal you've ever had. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it makes for great television. Can I circle back to the pale green pants, which is the, the reference from the Dr. Oh, Seuss right, book? we forgot about I have that. that. So, I have book name if you want that, by the way. It was, what was I scared of? That, yes. That is the title. Google the book name and look at the images of it. You'll see what I'm talking about. It's absolutely terrifying. There's just a pair of pale green pants that wander around doing various things, and there's this main character who is absolutely terrified of them, as he rightfully should be. And the central thrust of the story is that he shouldn't have been scared because the pants weren't doing anything anything threatening. And I'm like, their very existence is a threat. <laughs> they are a pair of pants that that ride bicycles and run through the woods and do all kinds of things that a pair of pants on its own should not be able to do. It doesn't matter whether or not they've done anything threatening yet. A wise person would recognize their propensity to possibly be a threat in the future and be terrified. It also appears that there was a glow-in-the-dark edition of the book published, which is pretty fascinating. I don't think I've ever heard of a glow-in-the-dark book, but it sounds like at least one edition had the illustrations impregnated with glow-in-the-dark ink. This sweet little character has his arm around these sad pants and he says, I put my arm around their waist and sat right down beside them. I calmed them down. Poor empty pants with nobody inside them. He just wanted a friend. He's trying to bicycle to find his friend for heaven's sake. I'm glad you brought that up, Kelly, because William Shakespeare with his seven (laughs) siblings actually had a bigger family than you might imagine. After he married Anne Hathaway, not the actress that we are currently aware of. They had three children together, including Susanna, Hammett, who died at the age of 11, and Judith. Both Judith and Susanna married and um, had offspring of their own. Um, yeah. So, okay, 18 out of 30 points for this particular edition of this first parliament. I'd like to let our listening audience know to please remember, like, subscribe, and 
Share. Share. This episode with your friends. Kelly's never been that late on that cue. Remember, I'm still you're looking always... at the Dr. Seuss pictures. <laughs> Put your arms around those disembodied pants because you're always a welcome part of the team at the Last Call Trivia Podcast. I think disembodied pants should be our next team name. <laughs> yeah, I like it.